Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah. I'm joined with my co-host, Lily, and we're bringing you another really wonderful episode that we hope you find just as valuable as as we find recording. We've got Dan back for a second episode. So if you haven't listened, I recommend listening to his previous episode. Um, But this one's going to be a little bit more for our adults, and I think it's going to... Yeah, be a favourite for many people. Mm. So my name is Daniel Fitzpatrick. I'm a podiatrist and I specialise in sort of musculoskeletal conditions. Hit us with the big ones, Dan, because <laughs> I know I came to see you far too late in my life with with bunions. And I thought, yep, yep. so I thought, I wish I was 25 again. But anyway, Dan, tell us how you deal with all this. Sure. Um, so so bunions is the most common thing I, I deal with now. Well, I, I'd probably say that it's... Uh, something that I see lots and lots and lots of and have for quite some time. Um, and, and bunions is a, is a really big thing because one in three people has a bunion. So wow. it's a pretty good market for us. Uh, so yeah. the, reason, the reason I started seeing so many bunions was there's um, – so I started to really centre in on manual therapies as a podiatrist at my sort of – previous uh, job where I was a general podiatrist and there, uh, there became a bit of research around the benefits of manual therapies and foot strengthening for bunions. And I started doing it and it took off like wildfire because as you can imagine, and, and surgeons do a wonderful job for bunions in the right context when they're very, very extreme. Uh, but for the most part, most good surgeons will talk you out of bunion surgery until it's very, absolutely very necessary. absolutely necessary. Yeah. So they they do a great job when they're needed. But the good news is is that in lots and lots and lots of bunion cases, you don't need to consider the surgical option. And so as a result, that really took off like wildfire within my scope of practice. And and it's an interesting debate: surgery versus no surgery, and the the functional benefits of that. I must admit that we we successfully treat bunions all the time. Um, we can with a bunion, we can. Uh, the great news is, is that you can you can definitely improve significantly the underlying cause. You can usually straighten a bunion quite significantly depending on the case and how far mm-hmm. gone it is. You can definitely effectively improve the bunion long term and avoid the need for surgery. More importantly, you can keep the foot functional uh, without cutting it open or putting a pin through it or any of that sort of stuff. I guess the only thing we can't fix with a bunion is that when you have a huge lump, a huge bony lump, if it's left too long, we can't remove that, but we can help everything else. Mm. Well, I found it really helped me. And the one thing that um, wasn't explained to me by any other podiatrist was how powerful that um, that foot, well, that joint is, that first metatarsal phalangeal joint, because it's that big toe joint that propels you through space. You know that mm. that push off, isn't it? And yeah. That's how. Yeah. And it's a huge, it's a huge component. Like uh, I've read a recent study, and to be honest, I went back and checked it, and I actually know the researcher, and I know he's a really good researcher, um, Hilton Men's, that he, he quoted that seventy percent of people over the age of fifty have osteoarthritis in their big toe joint. 
Mm. which I find a staggering figure mm. because yep. you think about it, if you've got osteoarthritis in your big toe joint, you've definitely got pain or you're definitely going to get pain. Whether you've got pain yet or not, mm. don't mean to be negative, but you're probably mm. going to get it. You've probably got limited range of motion, which is definitely going to affect balance, coordination. Um, as in our earlier sort of podcast, we mentioned how big toe helps to turn on the nervous system up to your belly button. So if you're squatting, moving, deadlifting, which... Let's face it, we all do those whether we do it, know we're doing it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to throw off your balance. It's going to yep. throw off your coordination. Obviously, it's not going to help things like back pain, which I'm sure you guys are well aware of. Um, so, yeah, it's really important if you can keep your big toe functional. It's really, really important. Yeah, so midline cerebellum, you know, it just goes zooming up all those, yeah. um, you know, spinal muscles and into the midbrain, well, middle of the cerebellum. But also I find that, well, after I saw you for a number of months, because it was quite a strict protocol that required a lot of compliance, like doing exercises, yep. <laughs> which I really don't mind doing because I'm actually quite coachable. I found what really changed was my movement patterns. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, people who know me know that I like to play tennis, like to surf, you know, I'm, I'm rarely sitting still and skiing. I just found my balance so much better and the feedback into mm. my brain more accurate. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm sold on it, you know. So I think your approach is really good because you weren't prescribing orthotics for it. You're actually prescribing um, functional work, which which I really get. Yeah. Mm. And and every every podiatrist on the planet wanted orthotics to, to be shown to work better than what they have been shown for bunions. I'm not saying they're a waste of time for bunions, but they're not as effective as we would like. And if you think about it, they're not going to strengthen the foot. Mm. They're not going to improve the the angle of the bunion as such because there's no strengthening going on. Um, so that's the only thing that would concern me. I understand if you don't have any other options and you want to slow down the development of your bunion, then orthotics may be considered, but mm. they're not going to help any of those things that we we sort of discussed. Yeah, yeah, it really is the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because um, we see the iceberg floating around. I mean, oh, there goes a bunion, but really... Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I see a budget floating around. But three-fifths of the problem are below the surface, which is, as you say, yep. um, weak musculature, um, incorrect use of um, biomechanics and so yeah. on. So having asked that question, do you reckon screening to prevent bunion development could be mm. done at a certain age? Uh, definitely if it's in the family. Uh -huh. So if you have the hereditary trait that leads to a bunion, and so just for the record, you don't pop out of the worm and you, you're going to get a bunion. Right. Um, so this is no, I, I, the reason I explain this because I cop this all the time both mm. on social media and also in the clinic that, well, if it's genetic, what can you do about it? Yeah. Like, um, and the reality is is that we know that, that the, a significant aspect of, of getting a bunion is the way you stand, the way you walk, which is related to a level of misalignment further back in your foot, whether it be in your midfoot or around the rear of your foot. And then that is the thing that leads to the bunion. That's why people will say, oh, I never had a bunion until I was 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever it might be. Um, so it's just important to, re to remember that aspect of it. Mm, so people could come to see you for screening, let's say, yeah, and then be absolutely. given exercises as prevention. Yeah, exercises, yeah, advice, that makes sense. Mm. what mm. to look for. Um, and uh, we like to think we're pretty ethical at the clinic. Um, if there's no signs of a, a bunion, Allah, if you just have flat feet, well, it doesn't mean you're going to get a bunion, just for the record. Mm. But we tell you things to look out for so you're aware if there's any sign of uh, like if we're not sure whether you've got a bunion or not we can always send for weight bearing x-rays and double check everything mm. um, 
So how do you go the other way? Because low arches is one thing. What about high arches? Yeah, good question. So uh, we see lots and lots and lots of high arches. So high arches represent, depending on which study you read, you know, up to 15% of the population. I think at our clinic now, it probably represents probably 60% of our population, mm. only because high arches don't love orthotics necessarily. I mm. know there's probably people listening to this going, I've got high arches and I love my orthotics and that's great. But if you think about it, a high arch is usually classically categorised with you know, they're usually very tight. They don't absorb shock very well. They tend to be very heavy footed. Oh. Um, they tend to be those people that try and stretch and stretch and stretch mm. and they never get loose. And we know that with lower limb, that with manual therapy, if you improve the alignment, you therefore um, release the musculoskeletal system, obviously neurological system. It, it, will, it will all loosen up if you put it back into a better position. So everything works best in the right position, I guess. Um, and with high arches, if we loosen you up, we find really good long-term results. And we often find that we get better results with manual therapies because it's loosening and correcting rather than sticking something hard underneath your foot that already is struggling to absorb shock. Mm, so, interesting. So it's mm. just something to be aware of. But high arches, we see that all the time. We get a lot of people through the clinic that are very disgruntled with their orthotics. They say they're not working, they're not helping. And, and if you think about it, at the core of the problem is that at the end of the day, high arches are tight and restricted mm-hmm. and an orthotic is not going to help that tightness or restriction. Yeah. And the way you work, Dan, is very, I mean, to me, it's very chiropractic. You know, you're actually adjusting the yeah. foot, aren't you? Yeah. Very great. similar. Yeah. We pinched lots of our techniques off you guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for. That's yeah. All together, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I want some free vivos out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or field grounds because they that's look right. better. Field yeah, grounds, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. In the peak. Uh, yeah. Now, I really like your foot mists um, that you've got here, Dan. Yes. So you've got a few foot mists, which I actually did believe in, but now I know they're, they're not true. So yes. you want to go through them. So the, probably the number one thing mm-hmm. that I I think is really important to get off the table is that, and I hear this all the time, is that foot pain is age-related and it's not. Um, sure, the incidence of foot problems goes up as you age. So does all health problems mm-hmm. from what I'm told. Uh, but the the reality is, is that I think if you take that view, well, it's just you, your foot pain is just going to, it's going to affect your quality of life. You're not mm. going to do anything about it. In my experience, most problems related to your feet uh, are very treatable so that we can improve your quality of life, improve the way you feel, improve balance, coordination, the way you stand, the way you walk. Um, and, and to be honest, we've had patients well into their 80s get really good results with improving function. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really big myth that's mm. important to dispel. And that size... Yeah, so foot size determines height. There's no evidence to support that. Wow, people uh, are going to hate that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, yeah, I'm not sure where that one came from. Maybe parents yeah. who wanted their kids to grow tall or something. Um, but Maybe. Yeah, but no, there's no direct correlation. Um, yeah, I'll check the research on that before <laughs> I go. Yeah. And the other uh, f- foot shape can indicate personality traits. Oh, I've not heard that one before. Yeah, haven't you? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but like, only if they've got a certain star sign, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, not oh, my God, that's hilarious. I better leave that one alone. Oh, but, but there's no, um, yeah, there's no evidence around that. I do get that one fairly regularly. Wow. Personality traits. That is interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, do people yeah. come to you asking what their personality type is based on their feet? Or uh, they just they come as a... They imply, yeah. like, you know, 
uh, particularly around kids and parents and okay, you know, yeah. they've got this sort of foot type, so are this they means this way this. inclined? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I've never heard that. It's a little Same. bit of an awkward conversation, to be honest with you. But <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, um, and I mean, the other big myth that we talked about last time is um, going barefoot is harmful to your feet. Mm. Um, I don't think that's true at all. Um, if you have a foot problem where you need support or you have foot issues, it can be harmful. Sure, mm. it can stir it up. Mm. Um, but overall, no, I, I don't think so. And so we talked in that last episode <coughs> about the importance of pediatrics or kids being barefoot or wearing barefoot shoes as much as possible. Is this Does the same rule apply to in adults? Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah. Um, so I would say most adults... It's really difficult to get them back to barefoot shoes. Mm. Um, not many people are willing or have the patience to do it. It's it's really great for you, but it takes like 12 to 18 months to do it properly, in my opinion. Mm. I know there's people that would disagree with that, and I know if you go on like the Vivo website, they make out like you buy a pair of Vivos. And, and it's all good, foot. yeah. Um, but I think there's some staggering figure like in the US when – uh, barefoot shoes became a real thing. The rate of stress fractures went up by like seven hundred percent in clinics. Mm, like it was something. Wow. Don't quote me on it. It's a drastic number. And the, the moral of the story is: barefoot's great if you give your foot time to get used to, to adapt it. to it. Yeah, for what sure. About barefoot per se, like forget the barefoot shoe thing. Should people just be walking around barefoot oh, more often? Yeah. Okay, you know, Very yeah. Much. All right. Good yeah. To know. Hmm. And there's also, this is probably a little bit off topic, but so many brands now, like Frankie is one, or Frankie 4 yep. comes to mind, right? Like these, I, don't, I haven't looked, I wear them and they're very comfortable, yeah. but I haven't looked into anything about them. But, you know, they're apparently produced by a chiropractor and a podiatrist yeah. together, a team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any, they're, they're a wonderful product. Both yeah. of those, Frankie 4 and, and Baird, they do a great yeah. job of what they're doing. Um, I, they definitely make my life a lot easier in yeah. terms of prescription. Oh, good. That's yeah. good because they're okay, on my feet let's now. Just so make sure some free shoes come our way. Listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you reckon this is not true either? Oh yeah, corns and calluses. Yeah, they're they're not caused by poor hygiene. Yeah, I, mm. I do hear that one a, a bit. Um, corns and calluses are caused by pressure. Yeah. So and they're built up of dead skin cells. Um, yeah, they're not they're not poor hygiene. Just pressure in the way you stand, the way you walk. Mm. Yeah. And this next myth will make some people happy. What do you think, Dan? The yeah. high heels one. Yeah, the high heels thing. Yeah, high heels cause so the myth we're talking about is high heels cause all foot problems for women. Um, that's a bit extreme, I think. Um, <laughs> the reality is is that I'm not saying high heels are good for people, just <laughs> before people level that at me. Uh, because I know that's coming my way. Yep. Um, and I know that there's other health practitioners that are really gonna jump up and down at that. I, I personally think that. So uh, at the at the end of the day, women are going to wear high heels whether I tell them to or not. So my philosophy is let's work with you rather than against yeah. you because if it's anything like my marriage, you're just going to ignore me and then go and do whatever <laughs> you want. So that's that's my viewpoint um, and um, I think it's important that I know my place. Um, yeah. uh, so the idea, our philosophy at the clinic is and, 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 and uh, is that at the end of the day, most women don't wear heels enough to cause all their foot problems. Yeah. And, and like you take bunions, for example, that's a classic one. Oh, yeah, I've got bunions because I wore high heels. Well, uh, uh, why do lots of men have bunions? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. There's there's some questions there because they wear yeah. high heels. Yeah, yeah. well, that's Maybe. highly possible. Yeah, in, uh, yes, in this world, uh, that I uh, a number of men don't wear high heels. I'm yes. aware. So yes. Mm. So a really good functioning foot. Yep. 
could survive quite nicely in a high heel. To a degree, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's good for you. I'm just saying it's yeah. doable. Yeah. yeah. You can see that Sarah's got, had a lot of experience putting no. people's mouth. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I don't yeah. wear a lot of high heels, so it doesn't really bother me but, personally, but, like, but it's interesting. You take your classic like female patient that says, I like to wear high heels when I go out to dinner or go to a wedding. Yeah. And I think that's completely fine. Rather than trying to guilt our patients into you know, yeah. being daggy and they're not going to do it anyway. Yeah, so exactly. Why, why don't we work with them rather than against them? That's my sort of. Yeah, mm. for sure. I have a thing that I like to say with my patients is that I want to just help them do whatever they want to do. Yep. If that's wearing high heels every day, well, let's try and get you there yep. as best functioning as we can. So yes. I like it. Mm. But so before you move on to um, something else, I just wanted to ask you, because when you said um, the myth about our feet being the same size, you know, all through adulthood, we do see a lot of pregnant women in here. Mm. And, you know, of course, with our yes. um, relaxin and various other hormones, can they regain their um, feet Yes. Size they could. Okay. They yeah. So that's what they want to know. Yep. Good. We say that all the time. Perfect. Yep. All right. And then the other big one that we all see is, of course, pantofasciitis. I mean, what do you want to say about that? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I mean, at the end of the day, for those people that don't know, your plantar fascia is this big, tough piece of tissue that keeps the bottom of your foot together. And what happens is you get tearing through that tissue over a period of time. You know, there's various reports that you can have plantar fasciitis for up to 10 years before you feel it. Mm -hmm. um, what's nasty about it is you don't really feel the first 90% of it in most cases. Mm -hmm. So when it comes on, it comes on rather dramatically. Mm. So one thing I would say with plantar fasciitis is that it's a couple of, couple of things. It won't go away by itself. I don't know where that myth came from hmm. um, and it drives me crazy. Uh, and so what I would say is that if you do have plantar fasciitis, once again, for longer than three or four weeks, I would strongly advise you to get it checked out. The sooner you get it treated, the easier it is to treat, the less less cost it will cost you to treat, and the more effective the treatment process is. Um, really interesting to contrary that, that there's very strong evidence in, in a sports uh, medicine journal that shows that the longer you leave it, the less likely you are to ever get rid of it. If you hit five years, you've got a 4% chance of ever getting rid of it. Wow. And, and so I don't know where this rubbish came from. If you leave it, you'll grow out of it. Yeah. Sort of yeah. It's well, it's like the equivalent in our practice probably is frozen shoulder, you know, mm. or some kind of adhesive capsulitis. Mm. Oh, you'll go away. Well, frozen shoulders don't just go away, do they? No, they don't. Yeah, yeah. they just affect so your quality very, of life. Yeah, yeah, it's a very similar situation, isn't it? All right, good. So there's good protocols for it. And to be realistic, oh, what's the soonest somebody could experience some comfort or relief from oh yeah i mean mm. don't, like even if we get chronic plantar fasciitis through the practice we would expect 30 to 40 percent improvement in the first four weeks of treatment nice mm. to know and that, that's like that's 12 to 18 yeah. someone who's put it off 12 to 18 months yeah yeah um far sooner if you you're less than that yeah for sure mm. and is there a certain demographic or population that you see it most in or it's pretty widespread well i see it mostly in uh women because they do something about it um, and I okay. see I only see ma males after they've been nagged by their wives to come yeah. in so yeah. That, that's um, yeah so so often we get better success rates with females because they treat come it earlier yeah um, I think it's pretty to be honest with you I think it's pretty common amongst both sexes yeah it's just one treats it and the other one doesn't yeah, yeah. fair yeah, mm. yeah. But I, I think that's reflective of health in general yeah and any particular activities that might increase our prevalence of it um i think just using your foot more yeah. I, I actually think in some respects it's better if you're more active and you bring it on sooner yeah because you, we can tr 
Because pain's a great motivator, isn't it? Yeah. We all treat pain. Yeah. So the reality is, is that um, if if you if it brings it on sooner, then you've got less atrophy within the actual fascia itself. It's much easier to get going, and and usually you can treat it effectively without interfering with. Um, with exercise, so mm. for like the, mm. the classic case is the runners who yes. think that they want to go and see someone because they think they're going to be told to stop running. Yes, my philosophy around plantar fasciitis is it's a big, tough piece of tissue. It's not like a tendon where you're really prone to tearing it. Yeah. Um, so if you actively treat it, you could often often train through treatment. Mm. Uh, mm. Makes that is sense. good to know. Yeah, because I think that's yeah. I've got a couple of runners who I know barely no, come tough. and yeah barely come and see me because they're like, don't tell me to stop running. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. We're not. You know, we're not here to stop you from well, doing what you love. But I think I read some, like a really cool study that they measured the tensile strength of plantar fascia, and this is yeah. sort of off topic, but and it's stronger than tensile steel. It's stronger yeah. than spider web. It's one of the strongest tensile yeah. substances we know of. Yeah, which yeah. is awesome, isn't that yeah. cool? So if you that's in yeah, our feet, it's, I think right? It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. with you. I think it's so, awesome. That's both a good and a bad thing because that's why you put up with it for 10 years before. Before you do something about it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But that's why you actually have to really respect it, you know, because um, there's yeah. so many painkillers around and cortisone shots. So the absence of pain doesn't oh, yeah. mean the absence of oh, biomechanical yeah. problems, you know, yep. and you and us, we're such functional people mm. and we want yep. you to function well, don't we? Yeah. Yes. That's the bottom line. Because mm. foot and aging, you know, as you say, um, Falls prevention. Yeah, so yeah. And, and I guess feed and ageing, that, that there's really, really clear research around this and, um, uh, by really good researchers that show that if you look after your feet, it helps quality of life long term, um, it improves balance, coordination. We know those things directly relate to quality of life. Yeah. Um, so if you take care of it, uh, I mean, I know there's sort of some even just, uh, and, and I know chiropractic falls into this as well, but I, I know there was a really cool study done in where they did it in a, a retirement village and they actually found that you know balance all amongst testing just after one mobilization of somebody's foot for a, for a short amount of time but if you do more of it you hold it yeah that, that it improves balance by up to 75 percent oh feedback testing. see yeah. amazing yeah. Yeah. but you think about it if you turn it on we you, you're less yeah. prone to well, there's so many studies to show too now with PET scans that um, if you affrontate or if you stimulate a part of the body, that part of the brain lights up, you know. Yeah. So if you don't use it, you're going to lose it, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. yeah. So definitely yeah. gait is so important. And the burning feet at night thing, that's quite oh, fascinating, yes. Dan. So I've, I, I put this in because I, I reckon I've been asked this more than any other question yeah. as a podiatrist. Mm -hmm. Every, everyone asks this. So I must admit this is a lot more common in females over the age of 45 mm -hmm. um, because you have a lower metabolic mass. Um, what we find is, is that I get a lot of females through and they say, I get into bed at night and my feet and legs start burning. Mm -hmm. The reason they come in to see me is they think it's a musculoskeletal problem. The and you ask a series of questions um, and we can usually diagnose it pretty well. It's actually really poor, poorly diagnosed with scans. Yep. Um, in fact, it's missed all the time because when when you get sent for scans, they're looking for really big blockages. Yep. They're not looking for small interferences in your vascular system. Ah. So what we often find in our female patients is that they get really severe burning feet at night because their vascular system isn't able to get the deoxygenated blood back up to their heart as effectively in bed. Ah. So why in bed? because it's nice and warm, your yeah. arterial system increases, the blood flow to your feet, your body uses up the oxygen and then sending the blood back up to your leg, it burns because it's rich in protein um, yeah. and it irritates the the lining and the, 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 the skin walls. Mm. Um, and so the cool thing about this is if you walk 20 minutes 
four times, is it three, three to five times a week, I believe this is the study, you literally double your vascular supply. Awesome. Interesting. Which is really cool. So if you just yeah. basically walk more actively, what yeah. the sec- one of the second biggest blood pumps in your, or one of the biggest blood pumps in your body is your calf muscle. Yeah. Mm. And so it's going to get that vascular flow yeah. back up to your, to your heart really effectively. Hmm. And, and, I, and this landmark study showed how over a six-week period you literally double the amount of blood vessels in your leg if you do that. Amazing. It's really cool. That's yeah. how plastic mm. we are. Isn't yeah. it so cool? adaptable, yeah. aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Really cool. That's well, awesome. Of, thank you for that. Um, and I like this one in particular, how to keep our feet healthy. Yes, yeah, so sort of top tips for healthy feet. Mm. Um, so these are just general sort of advice. So stick your shoes out in the sun quite regularly. So I, I think most infections people get on their feet, like in terms of fungal infections oh, and skin infections, yeah. It would be fixed by this. Just stick them out in the sun. Wow. Um, <laughs> how good's vitamin D? Fungus and bacteria hate sunlight and they hate uh, they hate heat as yeah. such so just stick them out in the sun you don't have to get too fancy with it it's not too difficult Love that. Um, I would definitely go barefoot for a period of day um, we know that's good for your foot but it's also good for a whole range of other things um, um, I, I put cream on your feet fairly regularly if they get dry um, we know that that's a really really good thing um, just a tip after you wear heels or you exercise try to stretch your calves yeah I see lots and lots of problems because people just don't stretch at all. Um, I'm not saying stretching fixes everything, and we know it has a limitation in its benefit, but particularly after you exercise, you're probably going to avoid being prone to things like plantar fasciitis if you stretch more. And yeah, I, yeah, and try and stretch after a night out in heels. Mm. Your feet will feel much better the next day. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So Amazing. Main, main tips. And I think um, we've covered most of um, why to see a podiatrist already, you know, yes. and besides being um, symptomatic, I'm thinking, asymptomatic you know i mean well well this is the thing right and you know you and i Lily, speak highly of this with our patients too but very much prevention over reaction as well right like if we can have good you know screening of the body and have good maintenance and you know look after our body now then we're going to have really good bodies going into the future yeah ideally you know i was going to ask you this question regarding the pediatric foot and now any foot really i mean how would in an ideal world, would you like to see those people? How we know that, like, well, we've found that with what we do, we we sort of base it on the connective tissue studies and then sort of cell changeover within within joints of your feet. Mm. And we know that those those cells that we're talking about are collagen, and collagen roughly changes over about every six weeks. And so what we say is that we know that we can probably service someone's feet pretty effectively about every three months. Mm. Um, that's how we tend to, to maintain mm. people, yeah. Well, we said that too, every school holidays. Yeah, you know? that's a great one, yeah. yeah. And isn't it funny how people would rather go and have their hair cut than have their um, yes. bodies checked? Well, I think we're, I think we're shifting away like yes. more towards that, right? I think, we're, mm-hmm. I think people are definitely, well, at least the people that are in my community slash I'm surrounded by, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it is shifting to people wanting to do more stuff to benefit their health mm. now as a prevention and a maintenance versus also me going into my seventh decade, you know. Yeah. Yes, I was 12 when I graduated. But anyway, um, you know what I mean? Um, it didn't happen. I think good luck runs out quite mm. early in life and mm-hmm. then it's good management. Mm. So I love the way that we're all into um, yes. management and a good life and, yeah. and a healthy, happy crazy busy yeah it's that, life. Yeah. yeah it's that classic like 30 year old that comes in being like i'm falling apart yeah. like you're not really falling apart you're just not looking after yourself yeah. right yeah yeah 
my kids don't listen. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do you reckon? Have we pretty much? I think so. Yeah. 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 I think so. It's been great because I think um, what you do is so important, Dan. And yeah. We really want people to to look after their their feet and their gait and their well-being as a result and their movement, you know, mm. so much more joy. Mm. And again, it's so much more than just feet, right? Mm. Like mm. that's what I love about podiatry, I think, and particularly the work you do, Dan, it is so much more about mm. than just feet. It's compliance. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. So, Dan, um, do you have any more little things for us? Um, <laughs> or three. Yeah, or three. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I think the big thing no. is if it, like three things to take away. If you mm. have pain longer than three weeks, get it checked out. Checked out. If you're feeling a little bit off, like you're unsteady or um, unstable, then get it checked out and we can probably hype it back up a bit mm-hmm. like what you guys do. Yeah, and, and I guess if you're not sure of anything or you're after, I think a really good resource is definitely our YouTube channel. Um, mm. If people are sort of, if they feel they're not ready to see a podiatrist, which I understand, but want some more information or something that would be helpful, uh, we've got, I think we've got about five or 600 videos on there. Cool. Um, and they're all based around sort of, you know, top tips for plantar fasciitis and all that sort of stuff. Um, people will definitely be sick of the side of me one, if they go on that channel, there's no doubt so about it. So they can Google um, Daniel Fitzpatrick Podiatrist uh, yeah, or, or your uh, just business. Look, uh, go, yeah. um, go to Sydney Foot Solutions yeah. um, or you can go to, to go to our website, sydneyfootsolutions.com.au. Yeah, but uh, definitely for the self-help stuff, I think YouTube is a really good option, mm. the channel there. Yeah, and I'll pop all of that in the show notes mm. so the listeners literally have to click it and open it. Great. Thank magic you. right um well thank you so much i think that's been really useful and i've learned lots mm. well thank you for having me you're very welcome anytime you're welcome to come back anytime you want you just let us know thank you a quick disclaimer these episodes are not intended to replace help treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals the information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.